Amen. Well, it's a blessing to be back with you tonight, and uh, it's always a blessing to be here in Xenia and just seeing what the Lord is is doing. You know, we're a um, Lighthouse Circleville out of the same church, Lighthouse Chillicothe, and my uh, my one of my other mentors uh, outside of Pastor Josh is Pastor Ryan, who is here and, and preaching for you. And so we're sisters, Circleville and Xenia. Uh, we are clearly the favored child in Circleville, and uh, we're the baby, right, until another one goes out, maybe, and, uh, and then we won't be the favorite anymore. We'll just be the middle child, which is the forgotten child. And uh, so we're going to enjoy it while we can. But uh, no, I, I love your church. I, I love your pastor and his family, and they have had an internal an eternal impact not only on me um, but on my wife and uh, and many many other souls many that they won't meet probably until uh, glory and so thank you for being faithful and standing on the word of God I'm going to jump right into our text tonight uh, if you have your Bibles and I hope you do let's go to the book of second Timothy chapter 3 and I invite you to stand with me as you find your place there second Timothy 3 and we'll begin in verse number 1 second Timothy 3 verse number 1 the uh, focus that I've been given for this portion of revival which I feel bad for you because Pastor Ryan was here Sunday and Monday, and now it's just a step down <laughs> to me, and uh, you got to finish with me, but, but I'm glad to be here, and, and uh, we are looking specifically at the family standing in a falling world, the family standing in a falling world. I see many families represented here tonight, whether you came on your own or with your family, I believe that this message is pertinent to you and to me. There in 2 Timothy 3, verse number 1, the Word of God begins by saying, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Verse 10 says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord deliver me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I'll stop with verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let's pray. Tonight, Lord, we ask you to focus our attention, our heart, and our mind on what your word has to say about the family. Lord, I pray that each person here would see that it is their personal responsibility to lead their home, no matter what that looks like, to follow your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, 
Amen. You may be seated tonight. Well, uh, not too long ago, my wife and I uh, decided to buy our kids a uh, Nintendo Switch. It was sort of like a Christmas present, and uh, we, we've never bought anything like that for our kids, and uh, we kind of made it their big present. They all got that, and then we got a few games, and it's fun to play, and maybe some of you or your kids have one of those, but... One thing that I discovered and I was so excited about is that I realized there was something I could download to where it would allow me to play all of the old Nintendo and Super Nintendo games from when I was a kid, like the original Super Mario Brothers and the original Mario Kart and Donkey Kong. And How many of you remember Tecmo Bowl as a kid? All right, I see quite a few hands up. All of those games I could play. And so one night, me and my son Uriah, who's my oldest, sat down and I said, hey, we're going to play an old game tonight. And so we selected Donkey Kong Country. Now, just for context, all right, so that you know, it's about two monkeys, one named Donkey Kong, and I think it's his cousin. Is it his cousin? Is that who it is? Diddy Kong. I don't know. It's Diddy is his name. I came to the youth over here, but... uh, The premise is pretty simple. It's not about rescuing a princess. Some bad guy stole their bananas. They're trying to get the bananas back, all right? That's it. It's actually a beautifully told story. I'm kind of underselling it to you tonight, but we started playing. And I know and I remember some of the old tricks and the back doors where you get some extra lives and things like that. And I was trying to explain to my son about how hard it used to be to play video games. Because it used to be, you only got a few lives, and then that was it. It was over after that. If the game was gracious, after you lost your lives, something would pop up that said, continue, with a question mark. And you could click on that, and you might get a few more, but then after that, those dreaded words would pop onto the screen. Game over. That's right. And you would have to start all the way over. Nowadays, you get infinite lives. You just start over right where you're at. And I was going on and on about how back in my day, we had to really suffer when we were playing video games. So as we started playing this game, we're making our way through. I'm showing them, here's how you get the extra lives. And we got to this one part. We were on a railway car, and we were trying to jump over this gap. And there was a bee, and it's kind of hard to explain if you weren't there. But we kept failing. And I was getting, I was thinking, I'm an adult now. These games will probably be easier. <laughs> no, <laughs> they weren't. They were just as hard as when I was a kid. And we couldn't get past, past this part. And then at one point, I paused the game. And I don't know how I did this, but I come to realize that on the Nintendo Switch, apparently, you can rewind the game. And I don't mean you can just start the level over. I mean you can stop the game, go back four or five seconds, and then just do it over as many times as you want. And I was like, what is this witchcraft? Well, this isn't fair. You, this is cheating. I mean, they are supposed to make it hard. And I thought when we went down in that dark cavern, we stayed in the dark cavern. We didn't get back out. And he's like, well, just rewind it. I'm like, man, for principle, I feel like I, I can't rewind it. So we rewound it, and we were able to beat it. And, uh, man, we got done with that game really quick after that. 
it was easy. And I thought, man, that, how easy is that? And I thought, wouldn't it be nice? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you wish you could just kind of stop, <laughs> hit pause, and rewind. How many of you have ever had a moment like that? We all have. We've had, some people are putting up both hands, right? <laughs> We've had a lot of moments like that. But we all know, no matter how nice that would be, there's no rewind in life, is there? And especially when it comes to our families, our time is very limited. And we only get one chance. We only have so many years, so many months, So many weeks, so many days, so many minutes. And what we do with that time matters. And it matters not just now, but in eternity. Tonight's message is really all about getting you to understand the need for making your home a little church. That every family represented here would make Christ not just the center of their life, but specifically the center of your home. Uh, The other day, my wife told me she saw a bumper sticker that said, kids on board, if any of these heathens falls out, let me know. (laughs) And I thought, that's pretty good, and we've probably all been there at some point in time in our lives. But I thought, that's good. However, I hope as parents especially that's not your approach to to raising children, right? But I want you to consider tonight, what is the goal in raising a family, in raising children? Is it that they might be productive members of society? Is our goal that they wouldn't embarrass us when they get older? I mean, of course, we desire those things, but those goals fall short. Our goal is to raise faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So how do we do this? How can this goal be achieved? I hate to break it to you, but bringing kids to church one day a week for one hour a week won't be enough. They need more, your family needs more, and God deserves more. To put it frankly, if you don't teach your children to worship Christ, the world will teach them not to. We are in a spiritual war, and yet most Christian families don't live like it. A survey by Barna Research Group supports the claim that even the best churches with the best men, most, not just many, but most do not even pray with their wives or their children, much less lead them in 10 minutes or so of some sort of devotion. It's been said that 85% of parents with children under the age of 13 believe that they have the primary responsibility for teaching their kids about religious beliefs and spiritual matters. However, the majority of parents don't spend any time during a typical week discussing religious matters or spiritual things with their parents. Typically, Parents rely upon the church to do all the religious training their family will receive. To restate it another way, the majority of Christian parents believe that it's their responsibility to teach kids spiritual things, yet the majority of Christian parents aren't doing any personal teaching to their children. Now tonight, my hope is to focus on the why, the motivation Because we live in a falling world, it is of utmost importance that our homes would be little churches. 
that there would be Bible reading, that there would be prayer, that there would be singing, that there would be memorization. And that looks different in every home. Whether you're single, maybe you're empty nesters, you might have young children or teenagers or college age, so that might look different in every home, but there needs to be the presence of Christ, not just here in the church, but in the home as well. The why. Not as much the how tonight, because there are a dozen different ways that you can seek to disciple your family, and we'll talk about those and touch on them just briefly, but the why why you should. And the reason why is because, number one, we live in a falling world. It's a falling world. Paul says perilous times are coming. Many believe that those times are here right now. Let me just quickly summarize the passage that I read through, and I want you to think about the falling world that we live in and contemplate whether this describes the time in which we find ourselves. Paul says, in the last days, there will be an all-out assault on the truth of God's word. In the last days, the gospel will be mocked, denied, and blasphemed. That people will be lovers of themselves, concerned solely with their own interests. This is what we hear every week in our culture. Love yourself, self-love, self-esteem, self-worship. And yet we find Christ said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Paul says they will be covetous, lovers of money. Is money not God in our culture and in our world? Boastful, arrogant, puffed up. He says they will be proud. This is the root of their boasting, that pride is in their hearts blasphemers, that in the last days God's name will be brought low, drugged through the mud, mocked, cursed, and misused, disobedient to parents, he says, unthankful. In other words, they refuse to acknowledge the debt that they owe to God. And this makes complete sense because we live in probably the most entitled time that there has ever been. No wonder that we don't have any gratitude because generation after generation has been raised to believe that you owe me something and more than that, God owes me something. He says in the last days they will be unholy. Need I say more? I will. (laughs) Unholy. He means profane, indecent, shameless. There will be no concern for purity or righteousness. Today, purity is scorned in our culture. Sleep with whoever you want and no one dares say a word, but keep the biblical standard of purity and you will be ridiculed by your peers and by this world. He says they will be without natural affection. That phrase was used of an animal who did not love its young. The idea is that in these perilous times, People will be so focused on loving themselves that they will neglect their love for others, specifically parents loving their children and children loving their parents. That is unnatural. He says truce breakers. They're always fighting with one another. A truce is never called. False accusers, despisers of those that are good. The time where good would be called evil and evil will be called good. He says they are traitors. Heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That phrase, lovers of pleasure, gives us our English word for hedonism, which is the teaching that pleasure and happiness 
are the sole purpose in life. Is that not the world that we live in? Does that not describe the falling world in which your family is being raised? Your children are growing up. The world is not neutral, and the family has felt the effects of this. Our culture has fiercely tried to redefine the biblical family. According to Scripture, marriage is comprised of one man and one woman for one lifetime who have undying loyalty to one another. Discipline in Scripture. The Bible teaches sons and daughters need correction. Fatherhood in the Bible, the Word teaches us that dads play a critical role in their children's lives. As far as motherhood, motherhood is celebrated and praised in Scripture. The family's priorities and commitments don't supersede Christ, and entire households believe and follow Jesus. Yet that is not what the world teaches us. Instead, marriage is seen as anyone, specifically Two women or two men are equally qualified to raise, a child, raise children as a man and a woman. They also teach that personal happiness is paramount. So anyone unhappy in marriage should just leave it. As far as correction, what does our culture teach? It teaches that children need space to find themselves, including their own gender and religion. So rather than meddling, just trust them to make the right choices. Our world sees discipline as abuse, does it not? What about fatherhood? Well, genders are interchangeable to the culture, so it's sexist to think moms can't do everything that dads can do, and it's insulting to even suggest children need a father. As far as motherhood is concerned, motherhood in our culture is seen as a great inconvenience. Forget your kids, pursue your dreams, further your career, and the culture says the biblical family is actually oppressive to women in that it's holding them back. The idea of the Proverbs 31 woman, the virtuous woman, is an insult to the modern woman. The world says sacrifice everything for your kids, even if their activities conflict with church and their relationship with the Lord. And the world teaches it is immoral to influence or impose your personal worldview on the rest of your family. There is an article written by the Family Institute titled, The Attack Upon the Biblical Family. In that article, the author wrote that marriage is increasingly in disfavor. Hollywood has made having a baby without a husband fashionable. The majority of babies born in our culture are now born to single women. Movies, television, music, media all present sex outside of marriage as the preferred norm. Today, the traditional family is almost always presented in a negative light or not presented at all. Instead, impurity, depression, drugs, alcohol, everything we used to despise in our country is now celebrated homosexuality, transgenderism, infatuation with death, serial killers. Isn't this incredible? We glorify serial killers. We celebrate them. We dress up like them. The depravity of secular music. 
And listen, when I was a teenager, secular music was horrible as well. The difference between my generation and this generation is the accessibility of all of these things. Today, pornography is now mainstream. It distorts and destroys the beauty of marriage, yet it is rampant in our society. 90% of young men in the United States watch pornographic videos regularly. Our country is awash with pornography, and we are the ones who flood the world with it. 90% of the world's pornography is produced or exported from the United States. Out of the top 15 websites visited across the world, three of them are pornographic sites. In a recent survey among young people, in order to help assess their view on immoral things or things that are wrong, using pornography was way down on the list. Not recycling was seen as a much greater evil. And that is the falling world in which we are living in. Many welfare policies encourage women to have babies without marriage. New laws encourage people not to get married at all. The Supreme Court in 1973 declared it was a right for a woman to kill her offspring. It took us 49 and a half years by the grace of God to overturn Roe v. Wade in the most pro-abortion administration in our nation's history. And yet, even in the first few months after that initial overturning, it was said and statistics showed that abortions only decreased by 6%. Now, often and since that time, it has continued to climb as bans have gone in place, but the statistics show that many women are just going to other states to get an abortion. Here's the point. Still in our country, thousands of babies every day are sacrificed on the altar of abortion. It's almost impossible to assess the damage of marriages and families due to addiction, Few families are not torn apart in some way by alcohol, drugs, and other addictions, including sexual addiction. Feminism is destroying masculinity and femininity in our culture. The young male in our world today is overwhelmingly pressed by one mandate. You will be accepted only if you become more feminine in character, thought, and deed. Your maleness is toxic out of favor, and you will be rejected unless you conform. In fact, it may be accurate to concede that the overall bent of our culture is deeply feministic. Look at all the sports superstars and the actors putting on dresses. Moms and dads, let us be very careful who we idolize in our homes. Dennis Rodman did it years ago, and everybody called him weird. Now when a man puts on a dress and walks down the red carpet, everyone calls him brave. Of course, there's a rapid and penetrating attack upon human sexuality. Homosexuality, bisexuality, pansexuality, transsexuality, all are presented to us as normal and even desirable. If you come out as gay, bi, lesbian, or trans, you will be celebrated and applauded by the most powerful voices in our culture. And it's everywhere you look. In every movie, TV show, or commercial, there seems to be a token homosexual person. 
It has nothing to do with the plot or the story, but the entire point is to communicate to us this is normal and this is okay. And by the way, it's not just new TV shows. Your childhood isn't safe anymore either. Now it's all the rave to go back and interject homosexuality into everything. Many children's cartoons have fallen prey to this agenda. Moms and dads, do you know what your kids are watching? DuckTales, SpongeBob, Blue's Clues, Muppet Babies, Scooby-Doo, Peppa Pig, Transformers, Toy Story, Arthur, Rugrats, Dino Ranchers, Mighty Ducks, My Little Pony, Kung Fu Panda. Sometimes my kids like to watch Bluey. I think to myself, if they come after Bluey, I'm getting on a plane, going to Australia, and I'm fighting somebody in Australia. Leave Bluey alone, right? What is the goal? Desensitization and indoctrination. So, in more positive news, the U.S. divorce rate hit an all-time 50-year low. It's not quite the praise you think, because over the same period of time, the U.S. marriage rate also hit an all-time low. Less people are getting divorced because less people are getting married. I say all that to say this, your family is the target of Satan's fiery darts and the world's lies. So I say, if you don't teach your children and your family to worship Christ, the world will teach them not to. In verse number 13 of our opening passage, Paul says, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's not going to get better. The world isn't going to have a change of heart on this. I can only imagine if things have progressed the way they have in the past 20 years, what are they going to look like 20 years from now? Now, before you think I'm just some doom and gloom uh, pastor that the sky is falling and everything is terrible, can I just say, even with all that, what a time to be alive and to be a Christian, amen? What a time to be the light in the midst of such darkness, to be the ones who stand out in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Friend, this is not a time to shrink back and to hide away, but what a time to be Christians and to be alive and to seek to raise our families different than the world that we live in. To paraphrase Theodore Williams, we face a humanity too precious to neglect. We know a remedy too wonderful to withhold. We have a Christ too glorious to hide and an adventure too thrilling to miss. I don't want to miss it. What a time to be a Christian. But what are we to do? Keep our head down? Try to guard ourselves and our families from these influences? Sure, we should be doing that. But is that it? Is the answer, keep out the bad? Because, friend, you won't be able to keep your family in that bubble forever. How can you prepare them to live as sheep in the midst of wolves? How can you prepare them to stand in a falling world? What does Paul tell Timothy to do? How can the family stand in a falling world? Look at verse number 14 of 2 Timothy 3. Paul says, but continue. 
Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And please don't miss verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Paul writes, from a child. Timothy was taught the word of God. And by the way, it wasn't done in the church because the church didn't exist yet. Timothy had a godly mother and a godly grandmother, Lois and Eunice, who taught him about the Lord. Paul simply added to the foundation that was laid by his family. Mom and dad, can I remind you, it's not the youth leader, the Sunday school teacher, the junior church worker, or the pastor's responsibility to disciple your family. But if I were to ask you tonight, what are you doing so that your family knows the word of God and can apply it to their lives, what would you say? If your initial response is, well, we bring them to church. You have just proven you are counting on the church to do something God has called you to do. Why is it that today in church we must have elaborate children's programs and dynamic youth ministries? Is it not because we as parents, for the most part, have handed off our responsibility to teach our kids God's word and we are looking for the biggest and best children's program and teen ministry to fill the void that we have left? Ponder that for a moment. If you bring your family to every service LBC Xenia has, I'm just talking about the main ones. You come Sunday morning, you stay for life groups, you come Wednesday night, that's about four hours of the week. Four out of their 168 hours of the week. Four hours a week, which is less than half the amount of time on average that teens spend on some form of media every day. Four hours a week combined in church, nine hours a day on some form of media. Kids spend an average of six and a half hours a day in school, many of them around two hours a day in sports. I heard an interesting thought the other day. Somebody said, Disney is coming for your kids, but travel ball took a lot of them a long time ago. How's the church supposed to compete? It can't, it won't, and I don't think God expects it to. The entire world system is against God and against his word. And whether you like it or not, Your family will live in that system. You cannot completely keep them from the world. They will live in the world, work in the world, interact with the world on a daily basis, and they will be influenced, and they will be trained by the world not to honor the Lord. And for far too long, families have skirted their responsibility to disciple within the home. But it's not all the parents' fault. The church is also at fault. Often the church acts as if we have a monopoly on teaching children. The church has inadvertently taken away the task of discipleship from parents. And now discipleship is done on Wednesday nights at 6.30. 
We have discipleship groups going on right now back at LBC Circleville. Our teens are meeting. They're doing here journals. They're memorizing scripture. All of those things are amazing things. But none of them were ever meant to replace the parents' responsibility for discipling our children. There's an article written by Replicate Ministries on discipling kids, and in it, the author stated, church leaders spent the last half century cultivating dynamic next-gen ministry. We build a church paradigm that positioned itself to take care of your kids' discipleship. That was something we were happy to appropriate. We have staff to do that. We have volunteers to do that. We allowed parents, no, we encouraged parents to let the church be the primary discipler of their children. Let us handle the kids, we said. Intentions were good, but we were wrong. And now we have exactly the product we were trying to produce. Families addicted to programming. Parents expecting the church to do all the spiritual stuff for them, and we've trusted in a church process that can't deliver what Jesus commanded. Consider the influence that you have on your family. Your home is the number one influence in the life of your child. The average church has a child for 1% of his time. 1%. The home, 83%. School, the remaining 16. Now, this doesn't minimize the need for church or for schools, but it establishes this simple fact. Your home is the majority of your family's world, and you have only one chance to make the most of it. Charles Spurgeon said, Let no Christian parents fall into the delusion that Sunday school is intended to ease them of their personal duties. The first and most natural condition of things is for the Christian parent to train up their own children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We can't hand this off to somebody else. As you stand before Christ to answer for how you discipled your kids, you won't be able to point the finger at the youth leader. It's your responsibility. Jim Elleth put it this way, when culture rushes down on your family and the professing church is trying to imitate the world itself, how will your family keep from being swept away in its path? In India, there was a custom of throwing babies into the Ganges River as a sacrifice to the gods. If we are unwilling to do more than merely take our children to church, we might as well be throwing them into the river of the culture. This is an explanation why many children of Christian parents are so often no different than the world's. They have been given to the gods by their parents, thrown in with hands of neglect. Have you ever heard the story of the Pied Piper? How many of you have ever heard of the Pied Piper before? How many of you who have heard of the Pied Piper actually know the story behind the Pied Piper? Okay, a few of you. It's actually a pretty tragic story. Years and years ago in the late 1200s, there was a little village in Germany called Hamlin. And there is historical record about this event. This village was overrun by rats. 
And the village did everything they could to rid themselves of this rat problem, but no matter what they tried, they couldn't do it. One day, a stranger came into town wearing bright clothing, playing music, and he promised the people that he could get rid of their rat problem. The people, having tried everything, obliged and agreed to pay the man a great price if he could indeed do it. In no time at all, they're not really sure how he did it, but he rid the town of the rats. He came back to collect his price, only this time the town regretted the great price they promised to this man and decided not to pay him anything. So this stranger came back the next day playing his beautiful music again, piping away, and the children, as they had done before, gathered around this piper, Only this time, he led them out of the city, never to be seen again. Historical record says this. In the year 1284, after the birth of Christ, from Hamlin were led away 130 children born at this place, led away by a piper into a mountain. If you were to travel to Hamlin today and look through the historical records, there is a message written in elegant handwriting in the town hall dated June 26, 1384. It reads this, it has been 100 years since our children left. Church, can I say to you tonight that the Pied Piper is back and he is coming for our children His name is Satan, and he will gladly lead them to hell if we do not lead them to Christ. Every day, it seems like something happens to show further evidence of the moral decline of our country. I read not too long ago that Superman, yes, that Superman, is now officially homosexual. Whether it's in the comics or in a TV show, I don't know. But to think that at one point in time, Superman was a beacon of morality and truth and righteousness. Truth, justice, and the American way. And of all the superheroes, he seemed to be the most pure. He was an icon of what was good and just and right. The late Billy Graham once asked, Will God have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if he does not bring judgment on our nation? LifeWay research shows 70% of teens in youth group now will walk away from church in college. 70%. Now consider this. Would you say churches do more or less for teens today than they used to? More. Absolutely more. Would you say there is more or less programming for kids today in church than there used to be? More, absolutely. More or less investment in our youth today than there used to be? More, absolutely more. Now, I want you to consider something. In the past 30 years, the church as a whole has studied more about youth ministry than ever before. In the United States, we have trained more in seminary for youth ministry than ever before. We have hired more youth pastors than ever before, and we are losing more children than ever before. Why? Well, for education, we take our kids to school and we hand them off to the teachers. For sports, we take them to the 
practice and we hand them off to the coaches. And for discipleship, we take them to church and we hand them off to the Sunday school teacher or the youth leader. And the parents have somewhat transferred their spiritual responsibility of the family to the church. And now families are expecting the youth leader to do a job that God gave them. And the spirituality of your child does not fall on the shoulders of the preacher or the Sunday school teacher or the life group leader, it falls on yours. It's yours. You, mom and dad, are the primary discipler of your children. And the church is here to help you and to seek to equip you. Now listen, I am pro-local church. I might be the most pro-local church person you'd ever meet. I love the local church. I believe that the local church is still the vehicle that God is using to bring the gospel to the world. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. I am pro-local church. Now, if you take away from this message that, well, the home is where it's at, I don't need the church anymore, then you have just, you have totally missed it, all right? You've missed it. We need both, is what I'm saying. We need both. Kevin DeYoung said, the man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. We need both. We have to begin by acknowledging it is our responsibility to disciple our families. Right after I got married, I began working at a Sugar Creek packing company in Washington Courthouse. Uh, Some of you are probably familiar with that. Maybe you know somebody who works there, all right? Does anybody work there at Sugar Creek? All right. How many people work at Sugar Creek? A couple of you or have? Okay, so you know where I'm coming from. It's a bacon factory in Washington Courthouse. Now, I didn't work in the bacon or the factory side. I worked in the microbiologist lab testing the bacon. You're probably thinking, preacher, (laughs) that's a job I'd like to do is test some bacon, right? I wasn't taste testing it. We were testing it for bacteria, even though I did eat a lot of bacon during, during that time, all right? I was actually the senior lab technician of the microbiologist. Doesn't that sound important? It wasn't. I made that title up because I was the only lab technician to the microbiologist. What that means is I worked for a really smart lady who said, put that into that, move that over there, don't touch that. And I said, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, okay. By the way, just as a side note, if, if you or a loved one was sick from eating bacon in 2009, you may be entitled to a lawsuit, or a, but don't sue me, okay. No, my job was to wear a, a, a white lab coat, and we would take a sample of bacon We would put it in a Petri dish. We'd put some liquid in it. It probably had a fancy name. I don't remember what the name was. And then we would put it into an incubator. And we would then allow it to be in the perfect environment to grow bacteria if it was going to grow bacteria. E. coli, salmonella, listeria. Now, we couldn't control what the sample did. We just put it in the perfect environment to grow 
if it was going to grow. Now, we couldn't control the outcome, but we could control the environment. Parents, let me step back. Spouses, you can't control whether or not your wife or your husband walks with the Lord as they should. You can't control that. Moms and dads, you can't control whether or not your kids are going to faithfully follow the Lord after they leave. You can't control that. However, I believe that our homes should be a spiritual petri dish where we are putting our family in the best possible environment to encourage spiritual growth. Every family. In Genesis 18, verse number 19, the Lord says of Abraham, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after me, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. I ask you this evening, could the Lord say of you, I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. I believe every Christian family ought to be a little church. And if you want your family to stand, then you have to realize your relationship with Christ can't stay here in the sanctuary when you leave. I hope you see the need. I hope your heart is crying out, then what can I do? I'm glad you asked. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 6. Pastor Josh referenced this passage yesterday at the end of our service. It says this, And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. Here's where it starts, right there. The words that the Lord has commanded you must be in your heart first. Don't think that you're going to disciple your family to follow the Lord when you're not following the Lord. It begins in your heart. But then it is very clear what must happen next. Verse number seven. And thou shalt teach them diligently. That's an important word. Not half-heartedly. Not just when you think about it. Not every once in a while but diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. In other words, all day, every day, all the time, Christ should be the focus of your family and your home. Now, how that happens is probably different for every family. Again, maybe you're a single parent. Maybe you're single. Maybe you don't have any kids. Maybe you have grandkids at this point in time. So how that's done might look different, but it's not some magical formula. It's not something we've never heard of. No, it's the basic stuff we know we ought to be doing every single day. First, are you reading and studying and meditating on God's Word in your home? And does your family see that? That's a good place to start. Are you keeping your family accountable to study and be obedient to the Word of God? You could read the Bible together. You could pray together. 
Memorize scripture in your home. Do a hear journal together. Talk about the message from Sunday or from Wednesday night. In our house, we read, we pray, and we sing. It doesn't take long. We have younger children. We take about 10 to 15 minutes, and we try to do that every single day. Why? Because I need it, not just because my kids need it. There ought to be a personal devotion time in your home. Pastor Josh mentioned praying the Word of God back to the Lord or singing psalms, singing hymns to Him. This is what our families, this is what our homes should be filled with. And even though it will look different, the point is this. Do something and do it consistently. Do something. James tells us that our life is but a vapor. Friend, if our lives, the entirety of our lives are but a vapor, how much shorter is our time with our family and in our home? Don't just raise your kids, disciple your kids. Make your home a little church. In 2 Timothy 1, verse number 5, the Apostle Paul writes, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. Paul says, Timothy, I know the faith that you have, but before it was ever in you, it was first in your mother and in your grandmother. Another way to put it is, what's down in the well will come up in the bucket, and you cannot pass on what you don't possess. This is a strong church. I truly believe that. I hear about this church in Circleville. Praise the Lord for what he is doing here. And it's all by his grace, amen? But I'll say this. A church is only as strong as the families that make it up. And we are praying. I've been praying for you. As Pastor Ryan was preaching this week and leading up to this week, your pastor has been praying for you. The staff has been praying for you. Many of you have been praying for revival in your personal lives. And often, we pray for revival here in the church. But we need it in the home as well. We need revival in the home. So often as a church, for us personally in Circleville, we hold revival services once a year, maybe twice a year. Sometimes we'll bring in a special speaker and they will unleash the truth of God's word. And we pray that God would revive our church. But have we not skipped a step? We could ask the Lord to revive the church, but if we don't have revival in our family, what happens in the church will be undone in the home. The Bible in the pulpit must never replace the Bible in the home. And if your family sees worship as something you do on Sundays, then they will understand it's not real, it's just a routine. Kids notice when worship is a once-a-week activity. And the Bible gets picked up when we go to Sunday, Sunday school, life groups, Sunday church, and then it doesn't get picked back up until next Sunday. They see the dust. Everyone in your home has a soul that will spend eternity somewhere. So when it comes to my family, am I daily moving them closer toward Christ, or am I allowing the world to take them further away? Dads, 
we train our kids how to shoot a bow, how to change the oil, how to drive stick, how to throw a ball. Can we not train them in the things of God? Bacham said, if I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I have failed as a father. I ask you, what will matter five seconds into eternity? Don't forget the eternal destiny of your family. Revelation 4.11 tells us this. It reveals our purpose for our creation. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Think about that. We were created to glorify God in our lives. Does this not apply to our homes? Is God glorified in a home that he is never mentioned in? He's never talked about? He's never worshipped? Can I say before there was a temple, there was a home. Before there was a synagogue, there was a home. Before there was a youth ministry, there was a home. Before there was a Sunday school, before there was a children's program, before there was junior church, there was a home. Before the Wednesday night Bible study, there was a home. Before the prayer meeting, there was a home. And before the church itself, there was a home. God's worship started in the home, and it's time for us to bring it back. And then, and only then, you may be able to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But you might even be able to say, as for me and my house, we did serve the Lord. And if that's the case, I believe that you will stand in this falling world. 